Welcome to session nine of Figure That Game Out. And as I walk you through this lesson, uh, I don't want you to feel too much pressure at the beginning. Hang with me for a second. But we can all agree as we've traveled through these eight lessons that the game is won or lost by your mindset. You can start to fill in the worksheet there, your workbook. The game is won or lost by the mindset. We've seen that over and over through what we've covered up to this point that really it can be said, you are the only obstacle. <laughs> yes, there are other obstacles we hit. This is a reality. This happens to all of us. But at the end of the day, who is the worst enemy that you'll ever face? It is you. So how can we take what we've learned and stay in the game for the long haul? If we can do that, everything else is going to open up for us. You could summarize this whole course as understanding what it means to play the infinite game for the long term. You know when you're in a space and you're thinking and experiencing and expressing the game with that long point view. And if you feel beat up or defeated or challenged or discouraged by anything I've said up to this point, then I can tell you absolutely you don't have to be because there are no wrong notes. No matter what's happened up to this point, Beginner musicians focus on learning the notes. Pro musicians want to play the right notes. The masters know there are no wrong notes. It's just what you play next. And what I want to do is give you nine questions as we close out this journey that are going to help you continually stay free from the obstacle to the game that is you. These questions are something that can guide you at any juncture. Question number one, will you notice the space between thought and emotion? To figure that game out for the long haul, to stay free is to start with question one, to continually come back to this idea of, I am more than my thoughts and my emotions and my desires, all the markers of my identity, everything we know from a deep expression of figure that shift out. But in a simple way of expressing it, what we're wanting to do is to start paying attention to that space as it continually expands between the thoughts that hit our mind and our consciousness and the emotion that comes with those thoughts. That space right there is where you find out there is a there there. There is a there there. All the great traditions of the world break down in one or two camps here. They say self is an illusion, consciousness is just an expression of this manufactured illusion, or they go to this extreme where they make all of the experience of the self, the totality of uh, existence, we could say. No, it's beautiful when you understand that there is a there there, that in between thought and emotion, I can pay attention. I can notice. No one is fully emotional or rational. Both come together in this beautiful symbiotic relationship. But the hard part about question one is that it's been seen in studies that people would rather face electric shocks than do introspection. Yet it is the only way that we find that freedom as we look in. Second question, will you recognize when you're acting insecure? When you, will you recognize when you're acting insecure? None of us get beyond a space where we show up in insecure ways. The minute that we become full of any kind of self-righteousness, that we've reached some kind of a point of enlightenment, we are our own worst enemy. We don't have to, we don't have to go to self-shame either, where we beat ourselves up. We live in this space where we say, you know what? 
There are times I act insecure. And when I do that, it's not me. See, there is a there there, but you're not always there. And you can see that in the workbook notes. You're not always there. When these insecure moments show up, this isn't who you are, who you really want to be. It's the false you or the false self. We're all seeking validation in some way. And one of the things that I try to pay attention to in my life when I'm in a period of challenge or growth or a limbo moment or in between or some kind of stress, which is where all the good growth happens, there's usually some kind of sacrifice I'm making that is unseen, that is unappreciated or misunderstood. And that fast, I can step into a space where I become bitter or resentful as I want others to validate what is unseen, what is unheard, what is underappreciated or misunderstood. I alone have to deal with that myself. So that's the second question that protects us. Question number three, will you cultivate the power of your daydreams? Will you cultivate the power of your daydreams? Once you start to start to live in the space between thought and emotion, and you're not just reacting, you're noticing consciousness offering these gifts to you. Sometimes they don't feel like gifts. And you're in between that space of thought and emotion. And you start to see that there are times you show up insecure. You'll also start to see there are just these random things that occur on the windshield of your consciousness. They pop up little fantasies, little daydreams. And here is the wildest thing about those moments. Your daydreams actually betray you. <laughs> Your daydreams betray, betray you because they show you something you really want. Now, if that daydream is something that's destructive to the kind of life you want to build, it doesn't mean that that's an action you have to take. It just means it's something that you want to pay attention to. You want to cultivate the power of your daydreams by saying, what do I really want here? You say, but I need more on that to know how, if it's going to be good or bad for me. Well, that's question number four. Question number four, will you perceive the difference between a distraction and an intuitive turn? Will you perceive the difference between a distraction and an intuitive turn? Because this is where we start to allow the daydreams to work for us, not against us. And here's the answer. Mimetic desire or real desire is the clue. Mimetic desire or real desire is the clue. Let me talk to you about what these two mean. Mimetic desire is, am I copying what someone wants? Rene Girard, the philosopher, talks about the fact that we're mimetic beings. We don't really know what we want. We copy what others want, and we think we want that. Or is it real desire? Is it what I really want? This is the clue between a distraction and an intuitive turn. It's very easy to hop on social media, to read something someone's writing, and think they want that, I should want that. People aren't conscious that that switch is happening in them, but it's happening all the time. I want to know, is that something that I really want at the core of who I am if I'm not being insecure, or is that something I feel like I should want? The wisdom of your life will emerge in the tension of the distractions and the intuitive turns, and sometimes it won't always be very clear either or. There will be some both and to it. And that's where the wisdom emerges, not in everything being either or, but sometimes we learn from the desires of others, the mimetic desires, but we're not copying and we're letting that form our real desires. Question number five, 
Will you visualize change to accelerate neural wiring or rewiring? Will you visualize change to accelerate neural rewiring? At the end of the day, what you can't imagine won't become real. What you can't imagine won't become real. So sometimes you accelerate neural rewiring by seeing what others have done and it gives you confidence you can do it. Sometimes it's going within through the core practice of identity space and learning at the deepest reality of who you are in that there that is there. Everything you have, everything that you need is all right there. And as you continue to play in the playground, that expansive space of identity space, you continue to accelerate change. Six, after you've done that, guess what? It's not just floating away into some kind of wispy perfection. More shows up. This is the sixth question. Will you turn irritation towards others into a fascination of discovering differences? Will you turn your irritations towards others into a fascination of discovering differences? The answer here is vexation is a gift for transformation. <laughs> I had a little fun on that one because it was a throwback to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, old school Kevin Costner movie, if you've seen it. Sheriff of Nottingham character comes into the witch's lair and is stabbing this knife or spoon down into all this stuff. And the witch character goes, something vexes thee? My wife always loves it when I do that if she's upset about something. Hopefully you get the irony. <laughs> but when we feel vexed, Vexation is a gift for transformation. When I see the speck in your eye and I get upset or irritated or angry about that, it's a clue and a signal for the big old log in my eye. And so I want to notice what shows up for me that can lead me to my own transformation. And then I can study the person that I'm frustrated at with fascination and awe as I gain a perspective I didn't have up to this point. Seven. Will you embody change for continued motivation? Will you embody change for continued motivation? The answer here is recovering ancient human technology is modern success. Recovering ancient human technology is modern success. The last few months for me, I've found a profound ritual develop. I didn't seek this ritual out, it just happened. I sit in the sunroom and I watch this tree that has hung on to its leaves until just two days ago. So all the other trees had let go of their leaves, but these leaves were still there. And I would see them blow in the wind and changing colors. And this is gonna sound maybe a little wild or deep or weird for some people, but I would watch this tree and think, is anyone else noticing this moment right here? the colors it is, the way it's blowing in the wind. It's more than I can even take in, but, but I'm a witness to it and I see it and I see it this second and I see it that second and I see it the next second. And as that ritual began to develop for me, I found it to be very special the last few months as a reminder that there are things in my life that we, we want to have witnessed to be seen and we're constantly changing. We're going through these expansions and growth. And as we go through this, we want to continue to use rituals to embody the change for continued motivation. So maybe it's listening to a song and building a trigger. Maybe it's like I did. It's staring at a tree. Recently, 
through meditations on a very ancient poem called Ecclesiastes, you see a continual pattern in this poem. It's constantly comparing things and saying, this is futile, this is futile. It's this idea that there's no wisdom in the extremes, but it's in the tension of both. But at the end of the day, because all these extremes exist and the wisdom is in the tension of the both, the poet says, at the end of the day, we want to come to a center. We want to remember we're going to die and we enjoy the work, the relationships, and the food we eat. And as I've thought and expressed and experienced that poem these last few months, no doubt through a health crisis I went through earlier this year, it's been a new ritual for me to find simple joy in eating and drinking and being merry. Wherever your rituals take you, you want to embody change for continued motivation. Number eight, will you accept the way to return to optimal states? Will you accept the way to return to optimal states? It doesn't feel good to be in a place of death. It doesn't feel good to be in a place of letting go. It doesn't feel good to be in a place of grief, but it doesn't mean we can't find a joy in that rhythm because we know that progress isn't linear. Transformation isn't linear. It's not something that begins forever and is done and ends forever and is done, but instead transformation is a circle. That whatever was the last moment that we had that was optimal, we can't become attached to it and try to force life to take us back there. That really in every moment, every day, in micro ways and in macro ways, we are coming back through this awareness, leaning in. We receive an insight, the moment flips, and we step back into flow. Truly circles are better than finish lines for flow. That no moment of our past defines us. There's no moment of our future that we'll get to, that everything is fixed, taken care of, and no more struggle. Instead, we are where we are. Like an unkinked garden hose, we keep paying attention to what is that flow through like. Number nine, and this is how we know the transformation matters. We're not just getting high on a supply for our own good. Will you impact those around you by watching the culture? And I say watching first, because yes, you're going to shape it, but first you got to watch it. And you're really only needing three metrics here. Three metrics are all you need to pay attention to the culture around you and what you need to do to help participate in its transformation. One, this is under question nine, what is the vision and values that are being adhered to or lived out? You can always pay attention to not what is the spoken value, but what is the real value? This is true for families, relationships, teams, organizations, institutions of all kind. Number two, what's the quality of the relationships? Are we living in any kind of space of healthy conflict or is it a forced unity? Do we circle around and round on the same conflict or do we actually break through to deeper understandings? The third metric, what are our structure or systems like? Another way of saying it, are our structure or systems improving? You can't change the substance of something until you upgrade its structure. And so healthy cultures, there's a vision and a values that is clear and what is stated 
is matching to what's uh, preached about in that culture. Two, relationships are healthy and developing and ongoing. No one person has to live in a certain role or personality so that the whole can feel a sense of completeness. Each person can dynamically change and become who they need to be. They do not serve the institution. The institution serves their growth. And then third, yeah, we didn't do it that way yesterday, but that's okay. We can change. We can upgrade into a new wineskin so we can get new wine continually. At the end of the day, these nine questions are worded in such a way to ask, will you? Because it really is a commitment. It's an exercising of willpower, but not like willpower you would have thought about. You're not exercising willpower to force a vision that you have onto your life, nor are you exercising willpower to numb out and run hard from the things you want to avoid. You're exercising willpower by discerning and cooperating with what's unfolding. You're not frustrated and forcing. You're not powerless and frustrated. What's unfolding in your life, you're simply moving in sync with it, making the most of it through these nine questions. Because you can't lose the game of being you. <laughs> That's probably the most encouraging thought that I could give you as we close this journey of figure that game out. And as you keep coming back to these nine questions, a discovery of you, you keep finding this is the only game that really matters. The long game, the game where I stay free from the obstacle where I would stand in my way by continuing to explore how much change and growth is really possible.